WTBC Radio and Beautiful Anywhere Anyone is brought to you by Live Bar, made right here in Salem, Oregon, just like this podcast. Gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, corn-free, and GMO-free. If you want to get a product like that in a wide assortment of unique flavors, including a new vegan option, then you are going to want to visit livebars.com to find out just how and where you can get these wonderful treats. Raspberry kale, maca, blueberry vanilla kale, coffee maple cacao, lemon ginger turmeric, and the new vegan option, lemongrass cherry matcha. If you want to find out more about these bars, where you can get them, where they are sold, and which flavors are going to become your new obsession, then please visit livebars.com. That is L-I-V. B-A-R-S dot com. Live Bar. Eat real food. WTBC Radio. In beautiful, anywhere, and anywhere. It's our conversation with a vegan and a butcher. Wanting to be cool. Summer Keatley and Derek Boas. We actually prepare caramelized carrot soup in this one. Put on some Beyonce and let's get cooking. Wanting to be cool. What's incredible about every community that anyone participates in is that it's always so much more than you think it is at first. I mean, there's so many dimensions and components to it. Every angle is so much more nuanced than you actually believe. I mean, you know, I always like to think of the world in terms of a scene, quote unquote, uh, and that is often oversimplified into just what music is. But there's so much more to it than that, that it's really hard to put your mind around what actually it fully encompasses. Uh, I mean, it's not just a question of fashion and uh, accessories, places to hang out, but it's also uh, the people that run businesses, uh, all of these different folks that run around in your lives that uh, they manage the uh, light bulb store down the street and, uh, you know, oh, actually the um, one food market in town where you can get the widest selection of vegetables, that's uh, so-and-so's uh, uh, store. They, they've owned that for years. I mean, that's really the backbone of every scene, quote-unquote. And, you know, there's so much more to that version of what happens in your community that uh, it's so easy to not actually see what's going on. I mean, I understand you've got your life, you're moving around, you're hustling, you're bustling, you're doing all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, like you only have room for the things that you're interested in. And, you know, sometimes music's not your jam. Maybe you were into something else. Maybe the things that get you off when you wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'd really like it if this happened in my town, aren't the usual things that are being written about and every news outlet that you can find. There isn't a blog post that summarizes, hey, 
this is going to be the thing that's going to really get you excited. This isn't like an easily findable thing. There's people out there that are still operating with paper and pen. There's no internet necessarily going to key you into these homegrown activities. And that is at the center of what makes a vegan and a butcher so exciting to me. It really has a down-home, backyard kind of vibe to it, where not only does it actually bring you back to these experiences of enjoying meals with people that you like and having conversations about interesting things, uh, but there's also this like sort of, I don't know, farm life quality, a, a sense of, you know, this goes beyond the social media concerns of the uh, world that we live in. This goes beyond all of the news paranoias that are motivating everybody to just completely freak out. This is about growing food in your backyard, preparing it for people that you like, and enjoying it together. And that's something that is so easy to forget when we're trying to rush to these appointments or these meetings that we have constantly. And, you know, I mean, like, I can't even think of the number of times that uh, my wife and I have had to turn to each other and say, can we just get something quick so that we can get going? Which is a horrible thing to say. I mean, (laughs) what an insult to food to reduce it to this thing that you get quickly and then move on. I mean, it's 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 a shame, really. And, uh, you know, the, the real tragedy of it is that not that, you know, we don't get to enjoy food, but that, that that's really kind of how we end up killing ourselves. Uh, not to be too uh, blunt about it, but uh, once we stop paying attention to the things that we eat and we stop paying attention to how all of that connects to the community we're a part of, we lose sight of one of the most important things about having access to all this stuff, that food is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to have a relationship in your life that isn't just some sort of sustenance. And that's a really complicated and tricky thing to convince people who are constantly on the go managing their calendars in a way that makes it very difficult for them to even get all of their appointments into one day let alone what you want me to stop and savor a meal are you insane yes actually (laughs) we are uh And uh, I'm hoping that uh, A Vegan and a Butcher helps deliver a little bit of sanity to uh, what we're talking about. Full disclosure with this episode before we move on, uh, what you are about to listen to is the first time that I've tried to present cooking, uh, actual food being prepared on the show while we do the interview. Uh, And because of the nature of cooking and the way things work when you're preparing meals and whatnot, we actually had to do it twice. And so uh, what you hear uh, on the show is what sounds like one seamless preparation and iteration of the caramelized carrot soup recipe that we uh, use in this show. Uh, But it was actually two different preparation and cooking sessions. And that's just, you know, it's hard to get everything in, you know? 
there's so much going on in the kitchen and it's, you know, you got questions to ask and you want to know what's this and what's that and on and on. And so it, it, it just, it made more sense. Um, we're not trying to cheat you in any way. We're just trying to fairly present uh, the meal that we cooked. Uh, and so um, just, just know that um, there is a little bit of editing on this one, really only because we wanted to make sure that uh, it's not 20 minutes of dead time while we wait for the Instapot to finish. So <laughs> um, that's basically what you lost uh, in the editing. But uh, hopefully what you gain is a, a better understanding of what it's like to hang out with Derek and Summer in the kitchen. And that was really what this episode was about, too, is, you know, like, for what all that Vegan and a Butcher is and what they do, uh, I learned very quickly that what this is secretly is an excuse for them to hang out with each other. And that's what I really love about what they do. Yeah, And they do, they have events that are happening, and they are connected to the garden that they work on. And we talk about all this stuff in the conversation. So like that's certainly stuff that we get to. But the real substance of it is this rare relationship where Summer, an ardent vegan, is working on events and preparing meals with Derek, an ardent butcher, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and it's not like they spent the entire time fighting over ideology and uh, who's right and wrong when it comes to their diet. It's really about these events and these meals that they want to put on together that can attract the largest number of people from a community that they're trying to support. And I think that that's really key because, you know, instead of arguing, they're doing something. I really like that. They can have different opinions. They can actually have completely different diets and means of interacting with the world and philosophical motivations behind those things. And yet, when it comes to this meal, when it comes to getting together, sitting around a table, enjoying some food and talking about the place that you live, they throw all that stuff out the window. UTBC Radio in beautiful anywhere, anywhere. This conversation was recorded at the Space Concert Club on March 12, 2018. Carrots and the yogurt are in the fridge. The uh, shallots are on the speed rack. I'll get all this shit out of the way. Yeah, yeah, I just washed mine today. Incredible. Yeah. It's mostly become the, like, I'll do a batch of rice, clean it, and then I'll end up cooking something else as well. Yeah. Just because, like, inevitably, whatever I want to make is also going to have rice. <laughs> so we cook every, all of our beans, well, most of our beans from scratch in the Instant Pot here at the Space. It's always, like, dry... Beans. Yeah, dried black beans, dried pinto beans. The garbanzo beans uh, are a little trickier to do in the Instant Pot, and we use the bean water from the cans to, uh, as an egg replacer. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, talked yeah. about aquafaba, and for some reason when I make it in the Instant Pot, it's not the same fluff power as the canned stuff, so sure. we still do the canned garbanzo beans, everything else 
like we've done risotto in the instant pot fruit we've done a bunch of we've done this caramelized carrot soup that we're doing today we've cooked uh yellow truffled yellow split pea pur puree <laughs> came out really beautiful. It was great. It was super potent. <laughs> we just, we learned, we always learn something about each other when we cook, and what we learned is we both really hate truffles. <laughs> um, Which is funny, we got really positive, <coughs> sorry, everybody got loved positive it. responses on it. Right? It was just so intense back here. As a dark, it was like, like yellow Play-Doh. It smelled <laughs> like, <laughs> it smelled like, it was bad. Well, and like your opinions change dramatically too when mm -hmm. you have to cook it regularly or right. prepare it regularly. True, but like as someone who is not classically trained, like all of those kinds of ingredients like saffron and truffles and all the expensive things, I, I'm like, oh cool, I get to use that. Sure. And the first time I had truffles, I was like, that, really? <laughs> That's it? <laughs> Same with saffron. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really, why? I, I mean, Okay, well, yeah. so that's kind of a good transition. It's a little bit like, affirming that he thinks truffles are bullshit too. Well, it's kind of a good transition to asking about how you got into cooking because that's something that I think is um, everybody who does it probably has like a. So here's how it happened to me. <laughs> so like, how did you get into cooking? Okay, uh, me. Oh, wait, I wanted to hear Derek's answer first. So uh, I. And my bio says I got into cooking at the arms of my matriarchs. So um, all of my, all of the women in my family cooked. My grandparents, uh, my grandmother, both of my grandmothers were cooks in different ways. Um, and my mom, being a single parent, also cooked a lot. So I basically, and I was a cleaning kid, so I would just sit <laughs> on the counter in the kitchen and watch them make whatever they were making. Sure. Um, I also really liked to watch people cook that weren't my family. So like uh, Great Chefs of the World was a show on PBS. Oh yeah. And I used to watch that a lot. And just like, I would, I'd marathon it at home alone, like a latchkey kid kind of thing. So sure. like sit at home and watch people cook stuff. Uh, and there's crazy things like mango coulis and you know, like all of this weird squeeze bottle of stuff. And there was definitely an era of TV cook stuff that yes. was like very inspirational for people who were like you actually learned to cook yeah. as opposed to food TV now where it's all just like drama and <laughs> is that guy gonna win right that right. shop thing or is he gonna get second place you get more out of it if um, uh, you're watching a YouTube video in a way like yes. TV has kind of become like a, a non-stop game show yeah I used to I was really addicted to food the food television, the food network. Sure. Home of Chop. Um, when you were actually learning to cook, so it was uh, Sarah Moulton did cooking live every evening yeah. from four to six, and she would make all kinds of cool things. Uh, there was uh, Chef Du Jour, which was, you know, at, like a revolving door of some somewhat famous chefs who would teach you a few things. Yeah, yeah. So that came on around midnight. That was right about the time I would get off work from my job at Borders, and I come home and Stan and I would watch Chef. slowly get inspired. <laughs> yeah, like I learned about the background of food and the, uh, Too Hot Tamales taught me a lot of knife skills that Derek is now reteaching me. 
Um, so yeah, TV basically, watch, watching people. Well, how did you get into it, Eric? Uh, similar story, I think. Um, I just grew up. Both my parents have cooked all the time at home. I have a funny story about um, the first thing I remember cooking is my dad teaching me how to make gravy with breakfast. <laughs> Being you know six years old and running around in my underoos, sure. and he would. Breakfast is my dad's thing, and so he would make a pan of bacon and then turn the grease into gravy um, for yeah. bacon and egg sandwiches or whatever it was. It's funny how it usually with parents divides along a breakfast line of cooking. Like yeah, one absolutely. does breakfast and the other does something else. Very definitely. <laughs> and my mom loves to bake, and she's always been a really good home cook. Um, we tend to um, defer in the kitchen because she is very recipe oriented. She has a hard time imagining dishes um, coming out at the end without following step-by-step -step instruction. And so, for me, I was always like, well, what if we add something? What if we, you know, what if we do something different? You like to improvise. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, when I was in high school, I was working at the Oregon Zoo, and I was staying with an aunt of mine who was living in St. Helens at the time. And we would just sort of commute together a couple of days a week while I was up there. And she is a much more adventurous eater and turned me on a lot to um, cooking some strange recipes and some things I hadn't seen at home or taking me places. We would go hang out in a um, grocery outlet or something like that and find all of the weird foreign products that we hadn't seen before. <laughs> uh, How do you cook that? How do you yeah, cook that? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, that really kind of sparked something. And then when I was in real college, uh, and I have to make the distinction between culinary school and real college. Same. I was. I've heard this from more than one person, though. You're, you're, I know where you're coming from. Uh, I ended up cooking a lot there, just between friends, and uh, my girlfriend was friends with a lot of the Hawaiian kids at school, so I picked up a lot of their just like cook at home for each other kind of stuff. Um, started working in the kitchen then. And then I got out of school and didn't really know what else to do with myself um, and just kept cooking. And then that led to culinary school and a couple of jobs in Portland. Um, I was up there for seven years cooking in a couple of different restaurants. And I ended up at the Nines Hotel where I worked all the way through both Urban Farmer and Departure, their Asian restaurant, um, and became the master butcher for the hotel. Um, so did that for a little while and then they ended up asking me to move to Philadelphia to open another iteration of Urban Farmer which we had just recently branded um, and set up all of their butchery program and talk to farmers and go out on farm tour and source their product for them there. So I moved to Philadelphia for a couple of years um, and then ended up moving back to Oregon and I've been back here for a couple of years cooking with Summer and around town as sort of a knife for hire <laughs> right. mercenary steel. Well, it's like a samurai kind of Yeah, story. exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, uh, I, we should probably mention that you're actually, we're making something right now. Yeah, I'll, so... I'll describe the setup here. We're, uh, we got some flour, and instant pots, and carrots, uh, and a few other implements of, of cooking. You can't see it because it's radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I guess uh, my next question is, what are we making? So, um, I just mixed up the gluten-free all-purpose flour mix that is my proprietary recipe, and we use that for a lot of different things. Today we're using it to dust some shallots that we're going to deep fry. Uh, they come out like the best onions you've ever, ever had. <laughs> and they're going to go on top of a caramelized carrot 
this is a throwback to one of the first dishes we did together at our first Valentine's dinner. Uh, 158 is for lovers. This was the amuse bouche we sent out. So mm. we use the instant pot as a pressure cooker to caramelize the carrots in a way you wouldn't be able to um, in any other liquid format. They cook at a higher temperature, so right. the sugar caramelizes differently. Um, and then we'll puree that. We're gonna cut and dust some shallots and fry those off for a little crunchy topping. We've got some yogurt we made um, from coconut milk and probiotics. And, and almond milk and soy milk. Almond milk and soy milk. <laughs> yeah. um, so we'll have a little crema uh, and some roasted red beet and some fried shallots on top of the carrot soup. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I think that one of the things we talked about beforehand was this idea of like cooking not necessarily beet, just the I've been to culinary school, I've had years of practice, like I, this is the only skill I know, so I do it very well, but like, and in both of your stories, it was something you did as a kid, it was just like stuff you grew up wanting to do. Yes. And I like the idea of kind of breaking that barrier where it's no longer like, well, I've had 15 years of experience to make this meal for you. Know, like, <laughs> I like the idea that maybe someday I could make this meal too. <laughs> You're gonna make it today. Right, right. <laughs> cool, well, what's, what's the first step, what do I do? Um, we're gonna, being that you haven't had 15 years of experience, we're gonna start <laughs> you with peeling some carrots. Nice. I think I've done this before. I think I've done this before. So, Y-shaped peeler. We need about two pounds of carrots for the batch size we're gonna make. So, I would say, Wash it off real quick. Maybe that many carrots. Okay, cool. And just on to. Or, uh, oh, here's our compost bucket. Perfect. We have a little compost pile out back for our garden. Um, while that's going on, I am going to slice some shallots. I'm using a mandolin, a uh, super scary piece of kitchen technology. <laughs> Every person I know who's worked in a kitchen, all of their injury stories start with a mandolin. <laughs> I have, about yeah, right. I got, I have, yeah, yes, I have <laughs> one of those. It's, uh, one, it's one of those things where it's like, even as a non-cook, I'm pretty well aware, to treat that with more respect than you think. Oh, yes, <laughs> I will bite you. I have a running theory that yeah. when you buy a new one, you oh, have to bite it here. first or else it will bite you back. Right. Mm, there you go. I yeah. just sharpened my knife the other day, Derek, and it bit me. I told you to bite it. <laughs> yeah, I, showed boss. I tried. My sweet, sweet knife. I sharpened the end too sharp and then ran my finger down it. Blood. Isn't that the, uh, the the samurai thing too again all over? Yes. We gotta, we gotta draw blood. Pretty much. Somebody's gotta draw first blood. And since I'm not the butcher, apparently, <laughs> blood has to come from me. So I know that um, with the, uh, you, Summer, you have actually a cookbook that you wrote um, that uh, has like um, not just recipes that are vegan, uh, but is um, has replacement yeah. suggestions and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so and what I mean, I, I'm, there's a lot of places I want to ask about, but like, what inspired <laughs> you to write a cookbook? <laughs> um, so when uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter, my youngest child. I was very uh, motivated to start a food business, and I was just really sure that as soon as the baby was born, 
not my first child, my second child. <laughs> I should have known better. But I was like, I'm going to strap this baby on my back and I'm going to start a cafe downtown and everything is going to be great. Um, <laughs> and that did not happen. So I put that energy into writing a cookbook. It was actually um, a suggestion from a friend of mine. And uh, at that point in my life, my mid-20s, when people would tell me something to do that I really wanted to do, I would say, I hate that, and I hate you, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> so I did that for a little while, and then I started writing down recipes. Um, it was pretty selfish, honestly, because I just wanted all of the things that I made for my kids and for my family to be written down somewhere so I could mm. pass it down to them. Right. Um, and I was really involved with some vegan communities on the internet, so they were really interested in my recipes. And you had already started, how long had you been vegan by the time you wrote that book? Uh, at that point, it was not very long. We'd been vegan for like five years, four or five years. Um, so I, and I don't like being told what to do. So <laughs> I wrote it myself, I edited it myself, I published it myself, I did the artwork myself. So all of the errors in the Glad Cow Cookbook uh, are mine. <laughs> um, but it also has like a little bit of a, a zine-like, almost DIY-ness It is a slim it. volume, yeah. yes. It's, it is much like a magazine. It's not very big, but... But it reflects um, the writer in a lot of ways, where like, if it had been you know, professionally edited and whatnot, yeah. it might have stripped away a little bit of the summerness. True. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and part of how I cook is that I look at recipes as blueprints, mm. and so there are there's not a ton of recipes in the book, but there are a ton of ways to modify those recipes into other ideas. Yes. See, so, that, as someone who doesn't know much about cooking, that's the part that really appealed to me. I was like, oh, I could change this any yes. way I want. Yes, and that's the whole point. There's actually a little a little tiny bit at the front of the book that talks about substitutions for eggs and milk and the kinds of things that vegans are often asked about but then there's also like how can I make this recipe my own with flavorings or different ways of preparing and gives a few ideas of just like flavor profiles for different uh, ethnicities of food so that if you want to make Mexican food but you don't know what's in it here's just like some basic spices to make something taste more like that yeah um, so I really I part of how I cook and how I teach people to cook is teach basics, teach blueprints, teach ideas, and then everybody can do their own thing and make it really personal on their own. Yeah, I like that too, where it's like the cookbook almost becomes like a philosophy guide in a way. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oi, oi. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on a second book I have been for a very long time, and I just need to finish it, sure. which means I need to decide it's done. <laughs> um, well, I was going to ask, too, because like it was about, I think, 10 years ago, right? It's more than that. Oh, okay. Even more. Yeah. Um, it's 15 years old, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so I was going to say, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned since that book? Like, in terms of, like, a cooking skill you picked up or something? Um, well, okay, actually, it's not a skill, but it is a thing, and it's what brought Derek and I together. Which is bean water. Oh, okay. Uh, Derek was down here at the space, uh, meeting up with his good friend Doug, who's one of the owners here, and um, he'd just come back into town from being in Philly, and we were sitting outside, and I started talking about aquafaba, which is um, the water from 
beans, uh, which is within the last few years become a really revolutionary egg replacer. You can make meringue. Yeah. You can do all kinds of crazy things with it. And so as you know, kind of a little bit showing off. Do you know about aquafaba? <laughs> this is like the uh, the hipster <laughs> equivalent of asking about gang of four. Or yeah, something yeah, like that, yeah, kind know. of. Yeah, and um, and so I I told Derek all about it, and that's something when I wrote my book with all of the egg replacing techniques and milks and different things, I had no idea about aquafaba, oh, and nobody did. Oh yeah. Um, so that's something that would definitely change. Oh gosh, it changes the book I'm trying to finish now. Thanks, Austin. <laughs> but yeah, I find that kind of interesting because, like, the thing about cooking is that, like, writing a book is always a snapshot. Like, it, yes. like you know, like it's of that time because you change so much. Yes, and I am always changing my recipes. It's part of the problem at the space kitchen here. Is my prep cooks always are like, "Wait, we're doing it how now? What?" Uh, because I'm always trying to figure out a better way, a better process. Process is really important to me. If you want it, you can have it. But you gotta learn to reach out there and grab it. If you are looking for professional photography and contemporary style and glamour, then J. Jean Portraits is your destination. Based right here in Salem, Oregon, just like this podcast, J. Jean Portraits can offer the right kind of photos for the project that you have in mind. Family photography, personal branding, magazine style fantasy photo shoots, band photography, J. Jean Portraits wants you to look and feel your absolute best, and they know that professional work at a reasonable cost is the way for you to get there. WTBC radio listeners will be able to take advantage of a contest where they will be able to enter and win a photography package by J. Jean Portraits. Please keep listening for contest details and how you can win these awesome, awesome deals. But until then, please visit jjeanportraits.com for a dazzling gallery of photos that will help you decide what kind of photography package will work best for you. Home, business, or just because you're feeling sassy, J. Jean Portraits will deliver these perfect snaps every single time. That's jjeanportraits.com, a professional look tailored specifically for you. Yeah. Now, when you had met uh, Summer uh, at this time, uh, were you like thinking like, oh, I, you know, I need a cooking partner or anything, or were you just? Um, not necessarily that I needed a partner. I was just um, really curious to see how the Salem food scene was since I had left it, and it had felt. Um, I was struggling with just like getting a job in town. I ended up picking up jobs in Portland, and I was helping a friend out in McMinnville for a while. Sure. And I was pretty disheartened that um, while there's some exciting things happening here, it's very um, exclusive. Uh, okay. it's, it's very much there's a downtown boys club kind of feel to the fact that nobody is very collaborative around here. So I was looking for ways to engage that like collaborative DIY mentality that I loved so much about the music scene um, in what I did. And yeah. while I play music and I'm, I'm you know, all over the place here, the space felt like a natural platform to do so. And I was so through the roof to meet Summer, someone who was like-minded and like, well, what if we did it this way? What if we did it that way <laughs> that I had been doing my whole life that um, it didn't seem the super huge stretch 
the professionals I had encouraged. Right. Um, yep. <laughs> I felt about it. And to this day, it's hilarious that I think that I honestly get a harder time from my friends who are professionals in this industry than Summer gets from her friends who are vegans. That's so funny. Yes, you would expect expect the vegans to be really, really hard about it. And I, I know vegans like that, but most of the people I know, uh, both professionally and as friends, think it's a really great thing that Derek and I are doing this together. And I was expecting to be a pariah. I wonder if it's like a um, big city, small city kind of thing where like um, you can- I think it's kind of a punk thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, the yeah. Vegan culture didn't start in 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 punk, but there is a big community there, and sure. it's about doing what's needed, doing the thing in the moment, um, DIY, make it yourself, collaborate with whoever, as long as you're like-minded. And even though Derek's a butcher and I am a vegan, sure, um, we are very like-minded in the way that we approach food, both as like. Um, how to prepare it, how to, let's try things, let's experiment, but also like, there are limited resources, we need to be careful, uh, we need to focus on local things, mm-hmm. we need to focus on sustainability and food accessibility, so well, like, we're not all that different. And it's funny that like, you know, punk rock really had always championed all those things, mm-hmm. but yeah. it had limited it to basically fashion and music. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean like, two things that I'm sure we all love, fair amount, but yes. like, there's definitely like a need for, um, what do you say, uh, um, punk rock can exist in other forms too. Right, yes. For sure. That's very cool. So like, um, just in terms of the history lesson here, you know, vegan and a butcher, how long did it take from meeting to let's put on an event? <laughs> we planned our first event that night. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. That's not true. We talked to each other that night. And then um, you messaged me a little bit later and were, was like, maybe the next day? It was like, I, I stayed up all night reading about Aquafaba. How do my friends not know about this? We should do something together. And then like a day later, he coined the phrase. Ah, posted uh-huh. on my Facebook, a vegan and a butcher walk into a bar. Mm-hmm. It's been really fun cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That, I think that's the point. Like, you came back down to the space a couple of days later and pitched this crazy idea to me, and I was like, yeah, like, I'm always down to cook and learn new things, and I was really excited, but I didn't, I did all of my friends know Derek, for the most part, because he grew up in Salem, but I did not know him. When I started hanging out in the music scene, he had already left. Prior to that, I was raising kids and doing that thing. So, like, sure. everyone knows Derek but me, shows up and wants to cook food with me and it just it was very disorienting i had to aggressively question all my friends like what's up with this who's this guy yeah like it sounds like fun but it's this like because putting on a gourmet dinner in a rock venue in a basement is a huge departure from what we normally do and while it's something i love i didn't want to go into this situation with Derek without knowing that he was going to follow through. So it was like, yeah, I want to do it, but are we really doing this or not? We should put some pictures in the show notes of what the space looks like when it's having a concert versus yes. a meal. Yes. Because like, it is a very different place when you come in for brunch or something like that. And that is all Derek's <laughs> vision. Like He saw that the space could be something more than just a basement rock show place put on the linens we have the centerpieces and it 
a fine dining experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he pitched a crazy idea. I said yes, and then I tried very hard to trust him. <laughs> and here we are. Well, and I guess that whole thing kind of just highlights the time dilation that I've experienced since agreeing to that first event. <laughs> but, like, we've just been going hard ever yeah. since with very, True. very little downtime in between. Um, we've, let's see, last year we did like five or six things with a yes. couple of offsites we had and special nights. And somehow in that, it just turns into as soon as one's done, the next one is being planned and on the way out the door. Um, and here we are. Yeah. Well, it becomes later. like any other event planning thing where, like, once you've got the mechanism in place, you want right. to keep rolling with it. <laughs> yeah. And we've, I mean, we've become friends. So, like, we want to plan the next thing. We want to talk about the next stuff that we're doing. Um, the first few events, we had to take a little break from each other afterwards. <laughs> like, well, like, like any relationship. I'm so tired you know, of you. Like, right, you, um, you get to know each other right away, and then, like, you need to kind of, like, yeah, Pace there was yourself. there was some distance <laughs> created, but we're we're so excited about the things we're doing now that we meet every week, and we sometimes we hang out and don't talk about food. Yeah, we just <laughs> hang out like friends. It's really strange. It's, that's, it's and that's, super odd. That's when you know that it's more than just a job. That it's more than just a thing that you show up and punch a clock for. Right, or it's like because right. you guys are messaging each other about TV shows and music and things like that. True. In yes. To, yeah. 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 Well, we should talk about where we are in the okay. process. Okay, so I we've just, got uh, carrots peeled. all peeled. Peel the carrots. Um, I'm going to chop those up real quick. I want you to peel this ginger, which we're going to use to spike the carrots while they're cooking. Perfect. Um, I like to use a spoon. As That's a, a Sarah trick. Molten trick nice. from nice. Cooking Live. Um, so I just grip the spoon pretty high up, and then you're just going to scrape straight oh, down okay. yeah, all yeah, the way yeah, around. Yeah. And then once you got that, we'll chop it up. I got the beets diced. Um, we got the thinly sliced shallot, so it's uh, it's uh, just about fire time. Yeah. Can I get a quarter cup of baking soda, please? See, I realize more and more as I get older that um, cooking is so much of the prep. Yes. Which I would have never thought of as a kid, where, like, to me, I was just like, oh, hey, the meal's on the table. It's, it's, uh, it's my favorite part. That's... Actually, when I knew that I wanted to do food for reals was when Thanksgiving became my favorite holiday. Because, <laughs> like, a whole couple of days to just cook. Mm -hmm. And I I had a hard rule. I still do, actually. Nobody gets to help me. <laughs> uh, you can't bring anything. If you bring something to my Thanksgiving other than booze, I'm kind of offended. Right, right. Uh, so, like, and you better make that booze now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I love I love the prep. We start prepping before a special event a couple days in advance, and it's you know like twelve hour days of Derek and I cutting things up and arguing about whose job it is to do whatever dish is the problem child that particular time. See, that's when you know you've loved something like the, with guitar players. You know, you know that they love playing because they're reading about guitars when they're not playing guitars. Yes. Right. With like uh, when it comes to cooking and stuff, if you're sitting there planning Thanksgiving without like no, it's not your job or anything like that. You just want to. Oh yeah, yeah. Then you I know used to you start really a love couple it. Weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's how you know that it's not just the phase or something that you've latched onto because like, oh, this will help me get through this year or whatever, you know, like, it's really something you love. Yeah, I truly love it. And when you grow up um, working in fast food like I did, that's where I got my food experience other than at home, uh, you kind of think that food's not a real job. So I had to grow up and realize that 
I was thinking that's a real job. I can do this. I was thinking about this too because a lot of people in America, particularly, see food as like a pure sustenance. Right. I need to like put this thing in my mouth so that I can go back to work or whatever. It's, yeah, it's necessary uh, as opposed to enjoyable. And I like the notion that like, of course, punk rock is going to be the place where people will say like, have you tried tasting? the food yeah, right. <laughs> you want to slow down tonight and maybe like enjoy this for you know like it doesn't have to be mcdonald's all day every day <laughs> yes so we just took that ginger you peeled i slice it thin against the grain because otherwise the fibers won't break down mm. um added it to the carrots with some baking soda and some salt and just a little bit of water we're gonna get it in the instant pot for about 15 minutes um the pressure of the instant pot allows the water to heat higher than its ordinary boiling point which allows us to caramelize sugar at a higher temperature. So, Perfect. so we're going to get that fired up. Meanwhile, I'm going to have you help me dust some of these shallot rings so we can get those in the fryer. Yeah. Here's your dust. So this is that flour mixture that you did earlier. Yeah, this is, is a the... proprietary gluten-free mixture that we use when... Sorry, no links to recipes. That's not how that works. Uh, when, but I, I will tell you what's in it. And when Derek and I do our vegan butcher events, we try to make as much accessible as possible as far as allergies. So we think about nut allergies and wheat allergies and soy allergies and try to have a, a few options for everybody on the menu. So um, sometimes we serve wheat, but most of the time when we're having, especially all of the desserts are always gluten-free. Um, so anyway, this uh, this flour mixture is a mixture of potato, rice, corn, and garbanzo in varying quantities and nice. uh, iterations. <laughs> and now everyone's going to try to figure it out. Yeah, have fun with that. It's, it's incredible. It really does work like all-purpose flour, which is so crucial in, in baking that when you're trying to convert gluten-free or recipes that ordinarily have gluten in them, all-purpose flour, you need a workaround for it. And so this has worked great for frying stuff, for baking stuff, all of that. It's been this, this is a slightly lighter version of our flour mix. So we have some that we use for like a sponge cake kind of all-purpose flour, like a cake flour. Um, and then some that's a little thicker, more like a bread flour. So this is like the cake flour version. It, it's a little bit nicer for the deep fry of the shallots. It's crisper. Cool. So I'm going to have you take, and we just want a handful at a time in our flour mixture here. And then we're just to roll them around in the flour, pick it up on all sides and make sure they're nice and broken up. And then I like to just shake them through the sieve so that... We have a fine mesh strainer over a bowl to catch all of the dry stuff. That way you don't get too much dust in the fryer. Right. Thank you, because I'm the one who cleans the fryer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and especially with like flour dusting and stuff, the particulate is so fine that it tends to burn your oil the longer it's been in there. Sure. Makes everything taste that way. Yeah, and then you gotta clean it. Should I do another handful? So, yeah, let's do another handful in there. I got you. The best part about this is that I'm already kind of like putting together what the final product is gonna be like, and oh, I'm good. very much looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ever since our first event, we're we made these crispy shallots with the soup. Every time we do an event, I'm like, can we do crispy shallots? <laughs> and Derek rolls his eyes at me, like, uh. I wanted to do it for this last event, and uh, we didn't, so I'm really psyched that we're doing it today. Yes. 
great on everything. You can put them on sandwiches, you can put them on soup, you can put them it's in a wrap, the on tacos. So if you want to wash your hands off, you come over and get yes. them in the fryer. Fire! Summer and I joke that it's so rare we actually get to play with fire and knives. As chefs, that's maybe 5% of what we do. Oh, for real. Yeah. 80% is cleaning gross shit, like the fryer. Yeah, yeah. And the sinks of the dish pit every night. It's not and all the like, floors. Uh, yeah, I think the, uh, the Anthony Bourdain implication of cooking shows has kind of, in a lot of ways, like made it like, oh, yeah, it's cool to do this part and that part, but like they never show the really dull parts. <laughs> yeah, like uh, cleaning the towels. Oh, That's something go, I'm doing today. <laughs> So we're just going to land a basket with the fryer already, and then you're going to take and just sort of lightly drop them on the top so it's flat up a little bunch. Ooh, let's get it like an even layer of all sorts. Okay, so this is bringing me back to my fast food days. Yeah! I recently burned my eye with a deep fryer. Oh, I, the worst burn I ever got was on a fryer. I think it McDonald's probably. Some oil bounced up and caught me with my open eye. Oof, pretty terrible for about a week. You know, I, I don't miss much about fast food, but I miss fried pickles. Ooh, I love fried pickles. Oh, we can make some fried pickles. I got some pickles. We got this dredge. It's like a snack. I'm just gonna knock them around a little bit. They'll stick together. And I've got a tray to catch them on right here with some paper towels. Keep getting them really, really crispy. Um, is to get as much oil off the outside as soon as they come out. Um, yes, yes. Shake it, uh, shake it into there, and then also try to absorb some with a paper towel. I like to put a rack over the paper towels, and then it holds them above it, and the the paper towel, as long as it's touching the rack, still wicks the oil away, but you don't have the oil sitting with the paper towel right on it. Right over there on the left, bottom. That's real space. all of these shallots and I'm going to eat them. What? We can. We're, We're going to. I'm just, I'm telling you that we are already. So they're just kind of getting like a little bit of light brown yeah. around the edges. GVD is the term that chefs have used with me before. For a millennia, yeah. yeah. Alton brown. Golden brown delicious. Yep. There you go. <laughs> we want to make sure that we have a little bit of salt. Because we're going to want to I did salt the flour slightly. Close. It has become a process to learn uh, how the gluten-free flours react, and that comes down to like the color of their caramelization is slightly different, sure. and things like that. So you still get some golden brown delicious, but it just appears in a different spectrum than standard bleached. Well, I, I think this is the other like um, fast foodification problem that we run into, where everybody's used to food looking exactly the same right, every time, and like there's variations depending on the 
that is what makes high quality food so beautiful is and so close to art I think yeah. is the um, preserving the sort of natural um, fractility and randomness of herbs and vegetables and things like that yeah. and um, changing from being the number five rice. right <laughs> so those look pretty damn delicious right there yeah and then you just salt them, salt them? yeah take a pinch of that salt and just dust it over the top <laughs> this looks uh, better than onion rings, I will say, for sure. <laughs> They're delicious. I, I feel like my salting is always light. Okay, I, I need to get over the habit of under-salting. <laughs> you did a pretty good job. That was a little great. Let me try one and let me know how it goes. I'll tell you if they're good. <laughs> That's perfect, babe. Good. Derek and I were talking about how chefs don't eat. <laughs> you just pick up things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Salty <laughs> bites, like over a garbage can. Sure. Yeah. Never sit down, never with dishes. You just taste things. My wife did a lot of cooking and restaurant stuff for a long time, and uh, her eating habits, I think, are entirely dictated by what it was like to get a five-minute break uh -huh. to run in the back and shove something in your face really quickly. <laughs> yep, that's, uh, that's real life. Our food habits are gross. But I think that, like, um, what's funny about that, too, is that, like, when you put on an event, though, like... You are there to actually slow down. Like you are not there to like rush and have a quick five-minute thing in your mouth and then you want to actually. That's what we want people to experience. Yes. Yeah. But we rarely experience that. <laughs> Just too busy. Somebody's yeah. gotta take you guys out on a date. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did just come back from Europe with my husband for 23 days and I did do a lot of eating and no cooking. That's actually the longest I've gone without cooking that I can remember, because I've been oh. feeding kids for 20 years. So how long was the total that you were on this vacation? We were gone for 23 days. 23 days, and you didn't turn but, a single oven on? or. Um, during our last week, we were in Brussels, and our hotel had a little tiny hot plate, and we had bought some vegetarian sausages that needed to be cooked. So sure, sure. I warmed them up <laughs> uh, and put them in a baguette with some vegan halloumi, which I also warmed up. There you go, there you uh, go. And I stuffed it in my mouth as I ran through the parking garage to get to the Van Gogh Museum. Oh. That was that was my big cooking moment. It was delicious. Wow. I bet the um, seeing Van Gogh right afterwards was also pretty delicious. It was great, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a very good memory. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so funny how, like, a lot of chefs report similar things where, like, just because of the lifestyle of cooking and whatnot, like, you are keeping weird hours. Your well, ability to eat is, you know, just kind of hindered in certain ways. Like, for me, food is work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm not supposed to be eating it. That's good. Um, so I have to wait a little while after I make something. I have to quote unquote get hungry. Oh, there you go. I see what you mean. And if <laughs> I'm cooking all day, I never get hungry. 
So we this, just made a sauce here, yeah. This is a little bit of yogurt crema that I just whipped up. It's just a couple of um, spoons of tofuti sour cream and then the coconut and almond milk yogurt that Summoner and I made the other day. Now, do you make that yogurt in this pot as well, or do you no. make that from hand? Um, no, I have, a, I have a yogurt maker. Oh, super cool old-fashioned yogurt maker. Oh, it's from the 70s, and it just holds it at a real low temperature. It's got some great milk glass cups, and um, it doesn't even have a light that says it's on. It doesn't have an on switch. You plug it in. And it's on. And it's on. Oh, the so 70s were so great. <laughs> basically, every time we make yogurt, I send Derek a message like, it's working. Because we're always a little bit like, eh, is it going to happen this time? <laughs> yeah, so um, the yogurt maker still works. But that's easy. That's the other thing for people who, and yeah, I know several people who used to love yogurt and now have to be dairy-free for personal, professional, or, or dietary reasons. And Actually, like the, di- the, the dairy-free yogurt is the biggest challenge for a lot of people. It is, and the commercial ones aren't that great. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Oh, no, and they suck. They're terrible. <laughs> for our purposes, we want a really tart yogurt that doesn't have any particular flavor. And um, unsweetened yogurt is very difficult to find in the vegan community. And if you do find it, it's usually a single-origin milk. So it's like almond or, or soy or coconut. It's never a mixture. And in my opinion, those things taste a lot like themselves and not so yeah. much like a, a, a clean dairy flavor. So There's a little bit of a chalkiness that yes, feels... Yes, that's definitely soy. Coconut tastes like coconut. Almond is a little bit weak. Um, so we do a proprietary blend of coconut milk and um, soy milk and almond milk of varying sweetened levels um, so that it more mimics like a, an unsweetened fresh made yogurt. Talk about old-fashioned appliances. The only other thing we're pulling out now is a Vitamix. Yes. You probably would have had in the 50s. Yes. <laughs> the old jet um, engine. We, yeah, we use the Vitamix all the time. Uh, Vitamix, Instant Pot, KitchenAid, and Cuisinart. Those are, well, and the mandolin. It's not really a machine, but and those are the things. And a lot of these things could be done in other ways, too, so it's not like you have Absolutely. to have these appliances to make these dishes. Right. But you can make yogurt in an oven at home. Um, as long as you have a really low temperature setting um, and you can keep an eye on it. You can make it in a in an instant pot, you can make it in a crock pot. Um, I just like the yogurt maker that I have because it's kitschy and I got it for $12 at Value Village. Well, and the other side of that too is that if you're producing for a large number of people, suddenly the appliances become absolutely essential. It is, and unfortunately we're still using like a lot of home size appliances around here. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I haven't actually seen anything that isn't too unfamiliar in a regular kitchen except the deep fryer. <laughs> you wouldn't yes. believe how we pulled off that first event. The, uh, the first year of events, babe. Uh, we had no hood at the time, so we were unable to use a lot of the like really high heat equipment. Yeah. And so we were left with uh, induction burners, which are little... <laughs> a hot plate. Call it what it is. It's a hot plate. It was college life, man. You know, yeah. like you're, you're living in yeah. the dorms again. <laughs> we, had, we had two hot plates. Um, we had a little home-sized deep fryer that Derek brought in, and that was it. Panini two, grill. Oh, the panini grill. Panini grill, two hot plates, and a home-sized deep fryer is how we did all of our first uh, three... Global-sized production events. And, yes. and I, I know a little bit of the behind-the-scenes. It's a bit of a longer story, but we have to thank Rob Groves, actually. Yes, Rob right? Groves <laughs> is integral in our ability to deep-fry things. And, um, yeah. 
all the corn dogs to Rob. Honestly. Yeah, <laughs> serious, man. Thank you, Rob. Uh, I mean, he's he's a hero for a number of reasons. But. Yes. Oh yeah, vortex remover among them. But um, he's been great at helping out at the space. Uh, we, our space family is awesome. It's not just the people that work here. It's the people that come here and the people that play here. And Rob's in a band that plays here often, and we really love how much he loves what we do. And that seems to be like a very essential part of vegan in a culture, where it's like, it's not just that it's like a job or a business, it's like, these are people you would want to spend time with anyway. Hey, these are events that you'd want to put on anyway. Yes. And meals you'd want to cook anyway. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, planning the meals is our favorite part, I think. It's the time, I've said it's the time that we like each other the most. <laughs> because we like... <laughs> planning out our dreams we're talking about cool stuff and then implementing that is when we hate each other the most like right. why did we say we're going to use gooseberries <laughs> we uh, found the gooseberries it we did the find garlic scapes literally the garlic scapes don't so talk about that that's a secret will. that's a secret we always Derek and I love Oregon produce and so like we're always thinking about what grows here that's unique gooseberries, hazelnuts, um, those kinds of things, scapes, weird produce, Romanesco, stuff well, like that. But we get more, we get lucky in this part of Oregon, too. I mean, like, sure. It's the breadbasket of the world. You yeah. grow anything here. Well, and, like, Portland and, or and Eugene have things that make them great for cooking and restaurants, but, like, you have access to every freaking farm around here. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. It's, like, anything that they grow, you can have in your kitchen. Yes. And it's, like, 30 minutes away at the most. Yes, but we plan our meals a couple months in advance, and then we're like, oh, escape should be available in May. <laughs> Chinese long beans shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, we should be able to find long beans. Uh, and then we're driving all over town, way over our shopping time. What the hell? Summer, why did you say gooseberries? Trust me, we'll find some in a can at Broad's. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for those gooseberries. <laughs> cool. Well, our soup should be just about done. When it is done caramelizing in the Instant Pot, we're going to take it out and put it in the Vitamix, whip it up real nice and smooth, and pass it. Uh, and after that, we'll have our little toppings here. What does pass it mean? Oh, we're going to push it through a fine mesh sieve to mm. remove any particles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love this. It's that like, gourmet technique. Sure, sure. Well, this is something I probably wouldn't have done if I was trying to make this at home. Where right. I would, just, I would throw maybe everything either. in the pot and I'd just eat it. Right. <laughs> I would blend it all, maybe chunky style, at home, and uh, I would not. I would not do all the fancy stuff that uh, Derek and I do. So it's kind of fun. WTBC Radio is also sponsored by Peggy's Vegan Hot Sauce. Locally made in Portland, Oregon, Peggy's Sauce is 100% vegan and 100% ready for you to experience a taste explosion you'll want again and again. Available in three flavors, Hotter Melon, Ghost Berry, Five Star Gary, Carolina Reaper. That's with avocados. For more information about Peggy's Sauce, including ordering inquiries, please visit Peggy's Vegan Hot Sauce all one word, on either Facebook or Instagram. Let me say it one more time. Peggy's Vegan Hot Sauce. When you need a little something with an extra kick. So 
I, it, one thing that's missing from this audio presentation that I probably, we should probably mention, is that usually the kitchen here is full of music. Yes. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that, like, you know, if we weren't doing this, that you guys would have music playing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious. What kind, what is a good like vegan and a butcher playlist? Oh God. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe Derek needs to say it. Well. Um, uh, there is a lot of Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, and Kanye West, Cardi B that gets thrown around a lot. A little bit of Drake. A little bit of Drake. This is all. Dance, no, right? that's all me. That's he's, he's talking about me right now. Summer. Yes. Um, occasionally, I'll sneak some some things in there. Uh, which I like to put deathcore on. Sure. No, you don't. Uh, you put on like soul and shit that slows do, it down. I do really love the funk and the soul. Funk is fine. Uh, some Zap and Roger. I love to put Zap and Roger. On. So it sounds like if you guys can dance to it, it's a little more kitchen. I, there is I like something about the tempo of yes, what's happening. I like it to be up. That's yeah. why I choose hip hop. I think Kanye is our middle ground. Mm -hmm. That might be. He complains less when we listen to Kanye than when we listen to Nicki. Although, we did listen to Beyonce all day on her birthday, and he never complained, so. There's nothing wrong with a good Beyonce day. <laughs> yeah. it, for, for the first year of the space, that's all I listened to was Beyonce. And I think this is common, too, with other people I've talked to who are cooks or um, work in kitchens. The music becomes essential to the process of... I can't, yeah, I can't work if it's quiet. I have to have music on. This is a uh, this is an anomaly, and I feel weird. Um, and anybody who's running the line at the space, whether it's me or, or one of my other helpers, they get to choose the music. It's like they're driving the car, right? Oh, nice. So if I'm in here doing prep on an off night or for brunch, I have to listen to whatever. Sometimes it's Topher's weird death metal. Sometimes it's Viola's emo playlist. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah. I don't feel so bad that I make people suffer with Beyonce because I have to sure. listen to that stuff. But it's definitely like a kitchen thing, because I, I, every kitchen I've been into, like there's music before I even get to the smells. Yes. <laughs> yes. Always music. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a good transition, because I know you play music. I do. And, uh, no, too. I've been uh, accused of such I think, things. Well, you're currently in Mouth, yeah. uh, playing around town, but uh, it sounds like you have a bit of a Salem history that's outside of <laughs> cooking. Uh, did you play in bands before? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, every Salem character worth their salt has a bit of a pedigree. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so I've been playing in Mouth for quite a while, and actually Mouth has returned after a couple year hiatus that before I had moved to Portland and gotten really serious about cooking, we were booking pretty seriously around um, and doing that 2009 through 11-ish. Um, before that, I released an album with Daniel Remington under the Electric Cities moniker. Um, did some West Coast uh, play out for that. Uh, before that, I was in Man Bear Pig. Ah, Daniel was too. telling me about this. Uh, so, we talked about this actually on Daniel's episode, uh, yeah. where um, uh, he was saying like it'd be funny to do reunions because it would have to be really annoying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have been trying to get them to reunite Man Bear Pig because I want to experience it. Danny, Danny's one of my good friends, and, um, and, and they... It, they are resistant. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, one of our members lives in Tennessee right now. So, so yeah. barring family tragedy, which might be a good platform for an <laughs> I'm not going to put any money on it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, it it yeah. seems like you, did you 
music as a interest when you were young too? Definitely. Yeah. My dad is a drummer and a singer, and so I've had a kid at home and been playing since I could touch the pedals. Sure. We've constantly just had random guitars and things around, and I got really serious about it in school as I was taking uh, symphonic music classes and things all the way up. And I actually ended up. Um, for the beginning of my real college days, uh, pursuing a music minor. Oh, okay. Um, so I was doing theory and taking classes for piano and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's always just been a really important part of my community, whether it be with you know family members at barbecues or how I meet people in Salem, Oregon. It seems like a very Salem thing too. Like I, I don't, I haven't met anybody who hasn't been in a band. I have not maybe, been in a band. Maybe you might be the only one I have. I have not been in a band. We yeah. did joke about how a being in a butcher is like being in a band. It's a little like, bit. We, we a carry band. heavy shit. Mm -hmm. All of our equipment's expensive. Right. It takes up all of our time and attention. <laughs> the That's, only way to make money is to go on tour. So. Right. Oh my gosh, it is like a band. <laughs> That's a good good analogy. I'm not musically inclined. I just uh, facilitate the music. It's fine. But you know, I, I definitely like the notion that like you have a musical kitchen and a musical background and component to this organization. Because like I don't know, it's it's like when you go into an office and like they have really bad music playing. Oh yeah. And like you realize that's the job you're gonna have to have for a while. Like it feel I don't know if I could do it. Like I feel like, <laughs> like kitchens are like the really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like the the notion of like well we gotta be able to shake a little bit while we're doing the shake and bake or whatever. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> like, it, it, it definitely, um, it's more appealing than, like, um, the old vision of fancy restaurants where you have, like, the stuffy guy in the uh, culinary school outfit in the back. In, in the chef whites <laughs> that never get dirty. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're, we're a messier place. We have, we, I am often singing off key. Um, we we do a little dancing. There's definite shit talking. Sure, oh, sure. Um, in fact, if we're quiet, if we're not singing or talking shit to each other, we're pretty sure one of the other of us is angry. Yeah, something's <laughs> off. Something's Somebody not okay. Making cookies. If we're all right over there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is kind of funny. This conversation has been um, relatively curse-free considering all the kitchens I've been in. <laughs> I'm trying to control my mouth. Uh, we well, were just around children the other day, too. I was going to say, we've been working with middle schoolers, so we've been making mm, an honest attempt to sure. be responsible. The grandma filter starts yeah. to come yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, trying to clean up our fucking grammar, goddammit. <laughs> well, and this is, uh, I mean, I guess talking about the kids thing, so vegan and a butcher is also kind of parallel to this Isle of Dreams. Isle of Treasures is uh, Derek's baby in our backyard. Yeah. <laughs> And like, I mean, like, a lot of places try to be where you can have, like, the food grown either near to or on site if possible. But, like, this is, like, I mean, like, it is outside the back door. You can, like, pluck yeah. things from the kitchen almost. Yeah, uh, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so, like, I, li I love that notion. Like, this was just your baby idea? Well, um, we were all out there smoking cigarettes and other unhealthy habits, and... I saw an unused space around here um, that you know didn't have any sort of purpose. It was just stacks of old wood and a ladder and some garbage. And had the the 2016 dream to turn it into a grow space. And I had no idea what that looked like. I had done limited rooftop gardening with a couple of the places I'd worked for, and I knew that it wasn't really 
viable enough to totally support the kitchen as far as knocking the produce bill completely away. But what it could provide was a platform to introduce people to what goes on here, uh, moments that we could feature in our events and things like that. And so it's kind of blossomed from there. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, and in the same way that like people who come to these events and go like, oh, maybe I could cook this at home, like knowing that the stuff was grown, not, not in like some professional garden or anything like that, but just in these kind of like planters boxes that you guys built. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, it's taken us learning as much about gardening as anyone we've taught. And that not only can you cook this food at home, you could grow it at home. And you don't have to know. You just try. Yeah. You just like cooking. You just try and see what happens. It's all an experiment. I like that idea that it's very much a like returning cooking to a, well, it's okay to screw something up and try this and try that and right. zero in on how you actually do this. Because I know like my first bowl of spaghetti was terrible. Oh, I was a horrible cook. But I'm pretty good now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it only took like, you know, 15 years of making spaghetti to get I was really bad at spaghetti, actually. When I, when I met Stan, my husband, he was better at cooking than me. I could just bake. I could make cake mix and cookies and a couple of things like that. I didn't know how to make a meal. Which is a little All bit right. ironic for um, a vegan, because baking used to be so dairy-heavy. Well, yes. I mean, I, I didn't go vegan until uh, I was in my early 20s. So when I was younger, I did a lot of conventional cooking, um, same as same with Derek, like my family hunted and fished. Sure. Uh, my mom made fish. Very we got a garden in the backyard. We yeah, went yeah. blackberry picking, the whole thing. But my only experience as far as like start to finish was making cakes or making cookies. Uh, when I moved out on my own, I had never cooked a meal. I'd never planned a meal. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. So I just started watching the food network. <laughs> All right. Well, our instant pot is finished, so our carrots should be done cooking. Uh, we have to release the pressure. It's going to make some noise. Oh yeah, do it, do it. And we've also laid out a some dishes of some spices, some lemon, a dish of pesto. This is the beets. Cool. So I have some dry spices out for us to flavor our soup with. This is a really good opportunity for me to continue to build layers of flavor. Um, that's some alder smoked salt. Uh, there's a little bit of smoked paprika, some cinnamon, some chili flake, and a half lemon. We'll use all of that to kind of balance the flavor of the carrots. This method of cooking really highlights um, the, the carrot flavor itself. We want that to be most prominent, but some of these can sort of round out the edges and make it a little more interesting. Yeah, well, and as a root vegetable too, and I mean, these are locally brought carrots that mm -hmm. like they're gonna have unique flavors to them too that like Absolutely. you yeah. might want to like sand off the edges. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Season to taste. Alright. Beautiful. So are we pouring off any of the water or just no. straight. It's straight here. That's all the good good. And you can see that the color of the broth is very, very dark. Yes. And that's just from the sugar of the carrots. We didn't add any anything. Now then, in the vita prep, it purees so quickly because it's already basically softened. Right. I mean, you could probably puree it with a fork if you didn't want to get it into right.
goodness. So now we're gonna strain it through our mesh sieve. Just make sure we get all of the chunks out. Spatulas, your million dollar spatulas. Scrape, scrape, scrape. Yeah, those are from the grocery outlet. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love gross out. Gross out's all my favorite thing. I put a surprise in the fridge, or er, in the oven. We have the last two super large cashew stuffed mushrooms from the party. In there. <laughs> Usually we flip off our food at the end of the day. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Get some 
retreat and um, it's school themed at Vegan Adventure Go Back to School. So mm -hmm. we'll be doing that in September. But for, for May this year, we're doing brunch and I'm psyched. Brunch is my jam. Yeah. And we're going to try some exploratory ideas. I always like to make Derek make bacon out of various vegetables. Oh, that's a dirty word. <laughs> As a butcher, it hurts inside. But you, you can bacon okay. style something. Right. Yeah. And, and we've actually come up with some really inventive um, sort of... Uh, Smoky, salty vegetables. Yeah, facsimile for what that bacon would offer. And it highlights a much larger statement about what are these ingredients doing for your food? Yes. What, what, what crucial role does bacon play in a dish? And how do you deconstruct that role and reassign it to something because, you know, I mean, like, vegan is definitely one component to a dietary need to change the way you cook. Yeah. But there's, other, I mean, like, it's in a way, it's almost like symbolic of other things that people need to do to change the way they eat. Absolutely. Or change the way they just interact with the world of food. Yes. Anytime that you change your habits, you learn something. And the same is true for doing vegan cooking. You learn new ways. You substitute eggs and milk. That's... That's the basic one, but also a big part of what I think about when I'm replacing meat is something I call brown flavor. It's the it's umami, it's savory, it's a little bit sweet. Right. It's the flavor of meat, and you have to replace that when you're cooking vegan. So I think about that. I think about the little bit of sweetness that caramel that the Maillard reaction offers. I think about the little bit of sourness that the muscle acids offer. Right. And I try to put that into the foods that I make that are savory. And I mean, not to be too pointed about it too, but even among butchery, there are considerations to the way that you go out cooking and whatnot. Absolutely. That um, open your eye to the larger world of what happens to these animals, what happens to these vegetables, where they come from. Right. You know, like, it's one thing to become friends with a farm and know where everything comes from and completely different experience to go to just only a store mm -hmm. and only ever think of your food in terms of plastic packaging and that kind of thing. Yeah. And these meals definitely highlight that it's not just the vegetables or the meat part of it, but it's like we're thinking about where all of this stuff comes from, how yeah. it's prepared, mm -hmm. you know, how that connects to your community. There are a lot of moments that seem to bridge these last couple of like major moments in cuisine where we've seen the molecular gastronomists and the farm to fork movements and the, the push for organics that there has to be something sort of derivative from all of those um, that represents them well despite the like the actuality of them not always being super pretty right <laughs> every heirloom tomato isn't beautiful but mm -hmm. we should be pushing for heirloom varietal vegetables i remember the day that i realized that not every carrot was going to look the same when you go to like a uh, farmer's market yeah. and like how exciting that was to go like well, wait well they're not just all these yellow or orange tubes but they can have these other characteristics yeah, too. Absolutely. and like and I say, like the further removed we get from the way that food is produced and the way that it is prepared as well the harder it becomes for us to become conscientious eaters. yeah absolutely that's part of why the garden uh, the Isle of Treasures Garden is such an important part of what Derek and I are doing is because we care a lot about where food comes from. And growing up as Valley kids in the in the Willamette, we, 
excited for pre-packaged food that to him gourmet is like whatever you can get at safe. You know, right. to him like the less work you put into the cooking, like his whole mindset is like I don't have to hunt this, I don't have to like you know none of that. You know. Yeah. And it's funny that like I'm really kind of coming around the other end of it, where I'd much rather talk to the farmer because yeah. <laughs> like I'm kind of like wondering what's in that package. <laughs> How is it made? Why are they farming? What do they like to grow? Yeah, yeah, I love stories, so that's more interesting than me too. That's going to do it for us this week. My conversation with Summer Keatley and Derek Boaz, collectively known as a vegan and a butcher. And they put on all sorts of cool events and things. And what I recommend is that uh, you start uh, checking out what they do and uh, pay attention to uh, the uh, social media that they have for these events I'll, I'll put links in show notes and all that good stuff so that you can uh, stay on top of things but uh, yeah it's a lot of fun I, uh, I'd never prepared uh, caramelized carrot soup before and apparently it's not as hard as I thought it was <laughs> so uh, go me and us and we the program theme music is by Paco and Laura Jones, and our closing music is by the band X. Don't forget to check us out online, anywhere, anywhen.wordpress.com. We're, uh, we're able to maintain this uh, weekly clip, and uh, a lot of that has to do with our sponsors, and we really want to thank them again. So, Live Bar... Jade Jean Portraits and Peggy's Vegan Hot Sauce. That's uh, really nice to get the kind of assistance and uh, help from people that uh, you like what they do and they like what you do. So please uh, support them and support us. And if you want to be a sponsor, drop us a line. AustinRich at gmail.com and uh, I will happily interact with you what can I say? You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no show. Be seeing you. Blue cheese stuff all until this last month. Was just 
just through the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. I love um, that. <laughs> so yeah, I I have been keeping a jar of blue cheese stuffed olives in my fridge. Damn. I gotta start doing that. They're so good. <laughs> I can't believe that the serving size is two olives. No. Are you kidding me? No, no. Two olives. Half a jar. Right. Naturally. <laughs> until you can't fish anymore with your fingers. Right, right, right. You put it away until you're gonna pour it out. And then like the next <laughs> serving is just everything else in yeah, a bowl. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I love you know like, this is the, I think when people who cook they always have such interesting like not necessarily sweet teeth as you right. notice but like it's the thing that they're like craving when they're done cooking all of the other stuff yeah well and I think there is a gravitation towards like really intense moments in food because you're looking for that mix in like a couple of bites as opposed to sitting down. Because you're not going to be able to experience. eat the whole yeah. plate you make. I'm just you know? so programmed to, like, I need three or four salty bites like this <laughs> to make sure it tastes right and also so I don't fall over dead. Sure. And um, that has become habitual now. <laughs> so, yes. Um, when you say pasta, are you putting anything on this pasta? or? Uh, so I've been real into noodles lately. I, I love burgers, so that's kind of my thing. If I get off work early enough when other places are open that serve vegan burgers... Because I don't want to cook a burger you don't for make myself. <laughs> if I get off early enough, I'll go get a burger. But lately, I've been real into noodles, um, and that's just like I got some great ramen, gluten-free mm-hmm. ramen, yeah. and I just cook that up before I leave for the night mm-hmm. and toss it with whatever. The other day, I tossed it with some of the duck cell that we made. Okay. The red, we had made a ro- roasted red pepper mushroom pesto thing to put on top of these mushrooms that we served. Yeah. So I put a little bit of that, some caramelized onions, some green onions, and some ha- some of the house-made space barbecue sauce with a fuck ton of cabbage and deep fried tofu. Yeah. And I took that home and it was just like pad thai. I was like, yes! <laughs> ah. See that? So I can go for like midnight pad thai almost every day. Nudes. I think it's bed. Like honestly, there's content enough there for an episode on its own. <laughs> <laughs> My weird chef's next. Well, yeah. yeah, I was going to say just like garbage bowls. Garbage we bowls. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this is the other dirty secret of um, any kind of cooking. You can, you can turn anything into garbage food. Like vegan oh. food, vegetarian food. Yeah, so garbage bowls <laughs> is actually a space term. Oh, okay. Um, for when we weren't doing food every night, we were just doing food on show nights, and sure. show nights were like three times a week. At the end of a run of shows, I would have a bunch of food left over that I couldn't oh. hold until our next show. Yeah. So I would make a bunch of bowls of whatever yeah. and bring them out to the staff or whoever was here, like, do you want a garbage bowl? Sure. And so now people ask for garbage bowls, <laughs> but they're not a pre-existing not a, thing. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, what yeah, do yeah. I have that's left over? I like that. It's almost like the old uh, um, uh, hobo special that you used to get, yes. which is kind of like whatever's in the kitchen. Exactly. It's that. It's Chef's Mercy together. is what it's yeah. called at other places. Chef's Mercy. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a there's a place in Astoria that we love to go that you get the Chef's Mercy. I get the wimpy vegan Chef's Mercy. It's like you can't handle spicy. And I'm vegan. Um, so, yeah, garbage bowls. They're nice. Things. I like that. I like that. Actually, that's most of what I eat is garbage bowls, just putting a bunch of stuff in a bowl. My, my other favorite meal now, when I can't think of anything, is rice with whatever else in the house yes. thrown on top of it. Yes. <laughs> and we make our own version of... Um, uh, uh, yum sauce. I'll put a censor beep over that. <laughs> um, I have my own version. I call it Wonder Sauce. Well, we don't like the 
gravy, cheese-ish, queso. They yeah. all just cover it with sauce and call it good. WTPC Anywhere, anywhere From our house to yours